Welcome to this week's Covenant Conversations. I'm your host, Shweta Rao, joined by my colleagues at Reorg to discuss Interlot, the stressed Greek gaming company that has been making waves in the European world of leveraged finance covenants. The company urgently needs to restructure its debt. Interlot recently sent out a restructuring proposal which features unequal treatment for the 21 and the 24 note holders. Under this proposal, the 21s would be exchanged for secured debt with a small haircut, and the 24s are being offered a less attractive equitization. The proposal itself is still live, with no agreement having been reached between all of the note holders and the company. What is particularly interesting from a covenant perspective is that Interlot might be the first company to pull a J. Crew in Europe to raise secured debt at an unrestricted subsidiary to create breathing room for itself. Today I am joined by Ben Kavak, a financial analyst, Sean Qureshi, legal analyst, and Elizabeth Borthwick, senior legal analyst, and we will dive into some of the issues we have identified with the deal and the implications for the European leveraged finance market. First, let's take a look at Interlot's current financial position and what the deal proposes. Ben. Hi, Shweta. Interlot's capital structure, as of September 30, primarily comprises 724 million of unsecured bonds. Of this, 250 million euro is due 2021 and the rest is due 2024. The upcoming maturity of the 250 million bonds clearly needs to be addressed and given the group's high leverage, a restructuring of some kind needs to happen. The current deal on the table sees the 2021 note holders being exchanged into 205 million euro of new debt secured on intralot US assets, responsible for around three quarters of 2022 projected EBDA, um, excluding partnerships. At the same time, the 2024s get an offer to exchange their bonds into up to 49% of share capital of the parent of the new US entity, while Intralot Global Holdings, the member of the 2024 notes restricted group, will retain ownership of the rest. Depending on the take-up, some of the bonds may remain at their issuer, along with any bonds that do not opt for the exchange. At the time of the release of the proposal on January 14th, more than 75% of the 2021s were in a lockup agreement. Furthermore, the ad hoc group have some cross-holdings. They hold in excess of 13% of the 2024 notes, and they guaranteed a minimum tender of 68 million euros of the 2024 notes for 18.7% of the share capital of the US Topco. The backstop commitment providers will receive a cash fee of between 4% and 7.5% of the backstopped amount. Right. There are a lot of things to unpack here. What are the key drivers of the situation? Given that the two instruments are contractually pari passu and ignoring the temporal seniority for a while, the proposed deal gives the 2021 note holders a significantly better deal in the shape of 82% reinstatement as secured creditors at intralled US level. This is all while the best the 2024s can expect is to either take a portion of the equity in the US vehicle or to remain at their original issuer with vastly reduced credit support. Whether or not the 2024s choose to participate in the exchange, they will still have recourse to the equity value in the US vehicle, though the outcomes may vary. For example, if the US entity gets sold, bondholders who opted to receive equity in the US vehicle would directly receive the proceeds attributable to their stake. Meanwhile, the residual amount would flow to the old restricted group. In effect, that value would flow to the 2024 bondholders as the proceeds would enter the restricted group. But the ball in that case would somewhat be in the company's court, as it can decide how to allocate those funds. Clearly, 
There is a range of potential scenarios and outcomes for the interested parties, including renegotiations of the deal. And if you want to find out more or discuss in depth, feel free to get in touch. Separately, there are questions about how such a deal can be put into effect. The amount of contemplated secured debt is more than twice that permitted under the Lean's Covenant of the 2024 notes, and presumably, the Intralot Inc. guarantee would also be released under the deal. Otherwise, the 2024s that choose not to exchange would have recourse to the US assets and the incentive to exchange into equity of the US assets would be reduced. To facilitate a deal that covers both the likes discussed, liens and guarantee release, the assets can be taken out of the restricted group, which Beth will discuss shortly. But the path to achieving this is not exactly clear. As a result, the potential deal may not only be aggressive in the difference in treatment of the two-party instruments, but may also include aggressive interpretation of the documentation. So where are we right now in the process? The deadline for the 2021 node holders has been extended to February 1st. The 2021 node holders driving the deal are probably hoping for 90% of the node holders to agree to the lockup, and Sean will touch on this. This is something that could potentially be com compromised by any cross-holdings of the 2021 nodes by holders of the 2024 nodes. Furthermore, given that the deal is pushing the envelope, the 2024 node holders could have a case to renegotiate the deal uh, with threats of litigation otherwise. But again, this is something that Sean will touch on shortly. Thanks, Ben. Now let's move on to the covenant angle. Beth, incurrence of the secured debt needs to fit into one of the baskets. What constraints are there on raising the proposed senior secured notes under the covenants of the 2024s? Hi, Shweta. Senior secured notes would rank ahead of the unsecured 2021s and 2024s. So as we would expect, the Leon's covenant limits the amount of secured debt that the restricted group can borrow. The general basket allowing the notes restricted group to borrow on a secured basis is capped at the higher of 100 million euros and 10% of total assets, less the amount of certain debt borrowed by non-guarantor subsidiaries. So looking at the total assets figure in the most recent results, the maximum is 100 million euros, a long way short of the 205 million euros proposed. Could those covenants be amended to allow the new senior secured notes to be incurred? Yes, the covenants could be amended to include a high limit for secured debt, but the group would need to obtain the consent of a majority of both the 2021s and 2024s, which is unlikely to be given if the new senior secured notes will still only be used to improve the 2021 note holder's position. What other options might the group have to escape the debt increase constraints in the 2024's covenants? Now, this should be interesting. The proposal is for Intralot Inc. to issue the new senior secured notes. And this company is both a member of the 2024 notes restricted group and a guarantor. So any alternative plan would need to achieve two goals. First, to remove Intralot Inc. and its business from the restricted group so that it is not bound by the secure debt limit. And secondly, to release its guarantee of the 2024 notes. As Ben mentioned, guarantee release is important because otherwise 2024 note holders who don't convert their notes into equity would retain a structurally senior claim on the US business compared to those who agree to be equitized. The consent threshold for guarantee release under the 2024 notes is 90%, unless one of the provisions for guarantee release without note holder consent can be used. Bearing in mind these twin aims, we have looked at whether intralotting could be designated as an unrestricted subsidiary under the 2024 notes. Unrestricted subsidiaries are not constrained by the notes covenants, 
so Intralot Inc. would be free to issue the 205 million euros of secured notes. And designation as an unrestricted subsidiary would also release Intralot Inc.'s guarantee without needing noteholder consent. As you mentioned in your introduction, Sweater, if this route is taken, it would be the first time to our knowledge that a J.Crew-type manoeuvre has been used by a distress group in Europe. Even in the US, where there have been multiple examples, this type of transaction is seen as aggressive and is frequently subject to challenge. As Ben alluded to, a transaction of this kind would not be straightforward for Intralot. The group would need investment capacity equal to the fair market value of Intralot Inc. General investment capacity under the 2024s is 60 million euros, and there's also a joint venture investment basket of 125 million euros, or a higher amount if a pro forma two times fixed charge coverage ratio could be met, which we can't be certain about. General restricted payment baskets can also usually be used to make investments. Intralot has a general basket of 40 million euros, but no obvious additional capacity, for example, under its builder basket, because of negative accumulated net income. So combining the three baskets we've mentioned would provide 225 million euros of investment capacity. This means that the valuation of the US business is an absolutely key issue. There are two other potential hurdles which should be mentioned. There's an argument that the language relating to designation of unrestricted subsidiaries in the 2024 covenants would not allow the group to use its combined restricted payment and permitted investment capacity, but would make them pick one or the other. So using both would rely on a more generous interpretation of the drafting. The largest basket is for investments in joint ventures. So the transaction would have to be structured to bring this basket into play, rather than simply being able to designate Intralot Inc. as an unrestricted subsidiary while it is still wholly owned. And last, Beth, what are the broader implications for the world of leveraged finance covenants coming through from Intralot's situation? Intralot's covenants are relatively conservative to many in the current market, and the main complicating issue from the group's point of view seems to be that their debt covenant has not provided sufficient flexibility for them to deal with the 2021 notes maturity by raising secure debt in the restricted group. There have been material inroads into covenants since Intralot's 2024s were issued in 2017, and this has continued since the European primary markets reopened last summer. Built-in capacity to raise extra debt, particularly priming debt, without needing noteholder or lender consent, has been a particular focus over the past 12 months, often in the context of a liquidity squeeze during the pandemic. But this is likely to be relevant for groups coming up against maturing debt when many businesses are still affected by the pandemic, and sponsors will want to know they will have sufficient wriggle room under their debt and liens covenants going forward. One particularly notable new development in covenants is the right to flip restricted payment capacity into secure debt capacity, sometimes known as pick your poison. This can be very useful if there is liquidity or maturity pressure, so at a time when paying out dividends is not likely, but additional debt capacity is crucial. We have also seen increased flexibility in restricted payment and investment covenants, potentially providing additional capacity to make unrestricted subsidiary investments. Examples include having zero flaws in builder baskets, so issuers don't suffer the full impact if they have negative net income. 
We've also seen the loosening of ratio compliance and default conditions for accessing builder baskets to make investments. We also commonly see dedicated baskets for investments in unrestricted subsidiaries, which Intralot in fact didn't have. And finally, we have seen the attempted inclusion of not made worse tests for ratio-based investment baskets, which mean that a transaction can go ahead even if the group's leverage is higher than a specified ratio, as long as it's not worse after the investment has been made. As far as we know, this has not yet cleared the market in Europe, but it has been seen in at least one preliminary offering memorandum. Let's now look at the implementation of the 2021 deal and also any possible further issues the group may face. Sean, what level of consent does the group need to implement this deal for the 2021 note holders? Will it be consensual or coercive? Hi, Shweta. Thanks. That's a good question. So essentially, the group, that, in respect of its 2021 note holders, has two options, the consensual or the coercive option. Now, the consensual option can be used if 90% consent of 2021 note holders is achieved. What this means, in short, is that the amendments which are proposed by the uh, group can be implemented under the terms of the document. So 90% threshold for amendment of money terms. That's relatively straightforward. The second option is the coercive option. This is where the group gets less than 90%, but more than 75% of consent from 2021 note holders. And this is where they currently are. If it gets 75% by, by value of the 2021 note holders, the group can essentially use an English law scheme of arrangement. This could be used to implement the deal. But the issue here is that using a, a scheme of arrangement may cause a cross default under the notes indenture of the 2024 notes. The language in the notes indenture relating to events of default and relating to cross defaults is quite broad and refers to a reorganisation or composition of debt of any of the material restricted subsidiaries. It's quite clearly arguable that a scheme of arrangement at the 2021 level could trigger such a cross default. What this would mean is that the 2021s and 2024s would both become immediately repayable making them ranking parry as they've both been accelerated. And this could throw a real spanner in the works for the 2021s and the group which is trying to implement this deal. What possible workarounds are there to the scheme cross-default issue you highlight? So there's two possible workarounds to the scheme of arrangement cross-default issue. I think the first workaround is instead of trying to use a scheme of arrangement to implement the deal, the group could just do a partial exchange. So whatever figure they end up on between 75% and 90%, the group would do the deal with that percentage. And then for the non-consenting percentage, so that's between 25 and, well, 25 and 0%, that number could be paid off at par by the group. The questions here are, you know, does the group actually have the cash to do so? And can the deal be structured in such a way? The other option is if the, the group uses a scheme of arrangement but tries to structure it so that a co-obligor rather than the 2021 or 2024 issuer is the company which is subject to the scheme. Now, this is going to depend on your interpretation of the cross-default language in the indenture. If the language, if your interpretation of the cross-default language in the indenture is quite broad, 
there may be a strong argument that even if a co-obligor is used under the scheme of arrangement, this may also trigger the criss-cross default. So it's a case of structuring and it's not particularly clear-cut. Even if the group does achieve the 90% threshold required for the consensual implementation of the deal, what other issues might the group face? Yes, that's right, Schwetter. The group is likely to face several other issues, even if it does implement this deal. Um, so the first possible issue is we have a situation, as Ben alluded to before, where pari passu creditors, the 2021s and the 2024s, are essentially being been given a different deal. And this can be classed as a preferential treatment. What this means is if the group later enters into a hard insolvency process, an administration or liquidation, the directors may find themselves falling foul of certain antecedent transaction provisions. Uh, they could find themselves personally liable and the uh, appointed administrator or other uh, insolvency practitioner could look to unwind this transaction. Another challenge could be a possible challenge to the covenant interpretation by the company and the 21 note holders. As Beth spoke about earlier, the fitting in of the new secure debt within the existing covenants isn't an easy fit, and an aggrieved 2024 note holder may decide that it is worth their while pursuing litigation in either the English or the US courts in which they challenge the interpretation of the 2021 note holders and the company and their incurrence of the secure debt. We know that 25% of 2024s could instruct the notes trustee uh, in order to take such action. So if there were a particularly litigious fund who wants to do this, it would be an inaction. It would be something we could, we could see. Finally, another issue is that this company, Intralot, isn't the sort of company that is used to litigation. It's a Greek gaming company and it has many, many issues, uh, many, many, many licenses and it's also subject to a significant amount of regulation. What this means is it doesn't really want to find itself in a court battle in New York or the UK courts where it's dealing with its creditors. So in summary, I think, I think this deal has a lot of avenues for challenge and I would expect there to be litigation at some point unless a significant percent of the 2024s get on board or the deal changes. Thank you very much, Beth, Sean and Ben. We at Reorg have extensively written about each of the covenant restructuring and financial angles discussed in this podcast and are actively monitoring the situation. If you would like to read our coverage, contact me at srao at reorg.com. Thank you for listening.